Welcome everybody to Debt Talk Live. I'm your host, Viz. I want to welcome all of our viewers. First off, my apologies on the late start tonight. Circumstances beyond my control. I hope you guys uh, can understand, but I see the whole gang is here. I want to welcome our moderators who do such a great job. Singer Chick, uh, Saz, Khaleesi, Marie on the Instagram side. If you guys are tuning in for the first time tonight and want more information about our show, please visit us on the web at deadtalklive.com. You can see all of our past interviews, our guest list, uh, featured episode, recent episodes, whole bunch more. And I haven't said this in a while, and I don't know how many of you guys have actually visited the website, but we have a submission form where you guys can submit videos, pictures, and whatnot to us to share live with our audiences. Just make sure you have the permission to do so before you submit it. Uh, Want to welcome Colette, who's with us on Facebook, as is Philip. Lizzie Monk is with us, and it's good to have you back, Lizzie. We haven't seen you in a little bit. Uh, just scrolling up the list here. Let's see, on the Instagram side, we have Santiaz with us. Karanz is with us. AM Twist. Welcome to all you guys on Instagram. I hope everyone's enjoying their evening or morning, depending on where you are in the world. Uh, I know we have fans all over the world, and I know for some of you, it is Friday morning. I wish it was Friday morning over here. But no, Thursday evening, uh, butt-ass cold outside. Tonight is, uh, thanks for reminding me, Khaleesi, it's Clarice tonight. What are we, up to episode four? That's right, episode four of Clarice is airing tonight. So I know what I'm going to be doing after the show. <laughs> uh, let's see uh, what's going on. Lizzie, uh, oh, I see you guys are talking about it. Yes. Welcome to Lisa Wilhelm is also joining us on Facebook. Welcome, Lisa. So let's just go ahead and get started with the news. Uh, not a really whole bunch of uh, interesting stuff out today, but there's always something that, you know, these writers will write about. And I thought this was funny. Nine worst horror movie titles of all time. Now, do they mean the actual movies or do they mean just the titles? Uh, as you know, or at least most of you know, I don't read these articles beforehand. I just pick and choose according to the headline and we go over them together. Number nine, oh, here we go. Thanks killing. Okay, well, that pretty much sums it up. It's about the title, not the movie itself. Although I find it very hard to believe that thanks killing is a masterpiece. Just look at this picture. What the hell is that? I, 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 it's a homicidal turkey. Wow. You know, I, can you imagine when whoever wrote this script was pitching it and somebody actually bought it and produced it? I, I don't want to knock this movie. I have not watched it. It could actually be a really great movie, but really? Thanks, Killing? Oh, boy. A homicidal turkey. And it says, what could be more bizarre than a homicidal turkey? And for the life of me, I can't think of anything right now. 
And let's see, they did it. Uh, not only that, they ha- they got a budget of a hundred and twelve thousand dollars to make this movie. While movies like Paranormal Activity got ten thousand dollars, and it went on to make close to two hundred million, but somebody forked over a hundred and twelve thousand dollars. I wonder if they got their money back. I mean, you know, did they break even or not? Anyway, the ginger dead man. Oh, my God. Look at this horrendous thing right here. Sorry for the Instagram people. Uh, Instagram only allows portrait mode. You guys are not allowed to flip your phone over to your, to the side and see the whole picture as the other uh, people on the other streaming services can. But let me just describe this is a gingerbread man. I would call him close to a zombie. I mean, what do you guys make of this ugly, ugly thing? Uh, you know, let's put aside the fact that this is a fictional possessed cookie. If somebody actually baked this, would you eat it? I mean, would you eat that? Hell no. Number seven, bikini bloodbath car wash. That's not that bad. I mean, yeah, you can tell it's a B movie or a C movie, but bikini bloodbath car wash. The title says it all. You don't even have to read a synopsis. The title, you can figure out exactly what the movie's about. <laughs> Number six, monster. Turd, T-U-R-D, and that is a monster turd. Wow. Wow. I mean, damn. Again, whoever pitched this idea, he's got, he has to have some, he or she has to have some sway in their words, man. Monsterd, 2003. And that is a picture of a monster turd. Okay. Number five. Oh, my God. Yeah. Are they making this shit up? Poultry Geist. Poultry Geist. Night of the Chicken Dead. That's the title of the movie, Poultry Geist, Night of the Chicken Dead, 2006. All these movies are from the early 2000s. Did we experience uh, a really, what's the right term I'm looking for? Lack of movie ideas in the early 2000s? Wow. And yeah, we have a bunch of zombies with what the hell is that growing out of their arms it looks like algae poultry geist okay number four <laughs> frankenhooker that's right frankenhooker to hell with the bride of frankenstein we're going straight to frankenhooker 1990 I'm at a loss for words. I really am. Number three, Deathbed, 
This is the title. Okay, check this out. Deathbed. The Bed That Eats. 1977. I gotta read this. There are diabolical horror movies about devil worshippers. And then there are diabolical horror movies about devilish beds. For those wondering what devilish beds means, Deathbed, the bed that eats, should clear all doubts. Following the story of a demon who wanted to consummate his relationship with the woman he loved, the demon conjured a bed, making their lovemaking comfortable. I ain't shitting you. That's exactly what this movie's about. A demon who falls in love. This is, reminds me of Twilight. Do you guys remember Twilight? When, you know, Sparkling Vampire and uh, Kristen Stewart got married and he was afraid on their honeymoon he was going to hurt her when they consummate their marriage? Uh, that's what this reminds me of. A demon who falls in love with a woman and, you know, when it comes time to consummate their relationship, the demon makes a bed so she can be comfortable. Yeah. All right. Number two. It's my party and I'll die if I want to. I think I've heard of this. And that makes me very sad. Uh, 2007. We're back to the early 2000s. All right. I got to see what number one on the list is. Two Lava, Two Lantula. The numeral two, Lava. And then again, the numeral two, Lantula. Is a movie that would prove to be too uncomfortable for someone like Ron Weasley who despite facing his fears and weaknesses, would find the concept of a giant volcanic volcanic tarantulas to be highly displeasing. This movie is the sequel to the 2015 sci-fi Lavantulia, Lavalantulia, and it creates its little... It creates its title as a parody and an illusion. Ah, they are lava tarantulas that well tarantulas that I'm assuming are made out of lava. Wow. I thought I would be, you know, kind of amused. Not saying okay, that's kind of funny, but they they really outdid themselves with this list. I feel bad for the poor bastard that had to write this. Can you imagine he had to go and research? His poor editor gave him the job. I want you to find me like the nine most ridiculous titles for horror movies. And I want you to write an article about it. He must have really pissed off his editor. <laughs> oh my God. CC writes, who gives these people money? That's what I want to know. I mean, people, these movies, no matter how bad, they cost something. And that first movie, uh, Poulter, whatever, what was it? That first movie on the list. Oh, yeah, of course. Thanks Killing. 
112 bucks, 112,000 bucks. Somebody forked over. There is no way they got their money. There's, I mean, there's no way they broke even on that. I find that very hard to believe. Anyone who forked over $112,000 for Thanksgiving got exactly what they deserved. Anyway, let's move on because this is this is too much. The Walking Dead's Melissa McBride says it's very difficult to, to think of the show ending. Star Melissa McBride has opened up about the long-running show coming to an end, admitting that it's very difficult to think about. The AMC series was confirmed last year to be coming to an end after a hugely successful 11 seasons, and it seems the idea of it all being over is proving a hard thing for the Carol actress to imagine. Speaking to Digital Spy and other press, McBride admitted it's heavy to think about how long we've been doing this, the relationships that we formed, the shared experience of being a part of something so uh, phenomenological that will never go away. We will always have the shared experience. And leaving it, there's this whole ocean of work. There's so much material that we're all very proud of. Again, the shared creative experience of being a part of this Robert Kirkman world uh, that overtook so much, it just became such a big thing. To think of that coming to any sort of end is difficult. Uh, and you can, it's totally understandable. Uh, these people have spent, especially Carol and Daryl, since they were there from the beginning, 11 years so far of their lives. By the time it's said and done, it's going to be like 13 years. And they're going on. They're continuing uh, for how long. We don't know. It all depends on how successful the Daryl and Carol spinoff is. It could really go either way. It could bomb after the first season. Or they can really find a way to rejuvenate uh, and make it unique in its own right. But 13 years of their life, and it's coming to an end. She added, but it also opens up the world for the Walking Dead universe, which is very exciting. It will live on beyond itself for one thing, and there's so much more to come still that it feels like it's not really ending. I know that with such a talented cast and the writers, there will be more opportunities for everyone I think as a springboard to other projects. And uh, man, go back. Go back to the beginning. We've all talked about it here. And we've had guests have talked about it as well. When they were trying to cast a character of Daryl, there were a lot of people in the mix. A lot of people. Ultimately, Norman Reedus got the job. And he's, you know, Daryl. He's portraying Daryl amazing now for well over 10 years uh i mean to say that the walking dead changed norman reedus's life would be an understatement you know and i was actually kind of thinking about this today uh what if norman did not get the role of uh daryl we know so many other people auditioned uh you know merle 
Michael Rooker was, you know, auditioning for the part of Daryl as well. I think Lou Temple also, who played Axel in season three, also auditioned for the role of Daryl. Basically, at the end of the day, we're all happy on who got the role. But think of how different Norman Reedus's life would be right now if he never got the role of Daryl Dixon. You know, it's just one thing can completely change your life. And Lizzie, of course, Lizzie, we missed that. Lizzie's back at it again. OMG, Daryl is so shit hot. I love Lizzie and her terminology. Shit hot. Uh, Lizzie writes, I can't see it. There's always, they're always, they've always been there. Uh, Singer writes, uh, I hope the ending of The Walking Dead doesn't affect any of our beloved characters the way the end of Game of Thrones affected Kit Harrington. That's right. Oh, yeah, that's another story right there. But, uh, uh, you know, either way, you know, the anybody who's been on The Walking Dead, it's definitely changed their careers, even for the small one-episode characters, all the way to the, you know, the Daryl, the Carols, the Negans, Andrew Lincoln. I mean, Andrew Lincoln, where would he be? if he never got cast for the role of uh, Rick Grimes. So, a lot of what-ifs. Let's see. Five cult horror movies to stream on Amazon Prime. Let's see what they put on this list. Chud, 1984. That's a good film. Number two, Split Second, 1992. Uh, I don't think I've seen that one. Let's see, number three, Silver Bullet. Ah, here's a good one. Silver Bullet is a Stephen King movie. Uh, sorry, it's a Stephen King book made into a movie. Uh, the movie stars Gary Busey. You can see him right there on that uh, thumbnail for the trailer. Corey Feldman is also in it as well. And it's your classic werewolf tale, basically. And uh, two kids discover that a priest is a werewolf. And, of course, Gary Busey does not believe them at first until he sees evidence. And not even up until the end uh, did he really believe a werewolf was going to come. Uh, because the werewolf figured out, the priest figured out, that they found out who what his true identity was. But he showed up. He showed up. And they went, and they they took all their silver jewelry, and they uh, melted it, and they made a silver bullet. Number four, The Devil's Reign, 1975. Nope, never heard of this one either. Number three, Summer of Fear. I have heard of this. Sometimes titled Stranger in Our House, but based on the novel Summer of Fear, by YA horror legend Lewis Duncan. This made-for-TV movie, which premiered on Halloween 1978, the same year that the original Halloween movie came out, was directed by Wes Craven a year post The Hills Have Eyes. And a lot of people don't recognize on how long Wes Craven was in the business and how active he was back in the 70s. 
doing the last house on the left and he had so many movies that came out in the 70s he did the swamp thing with uh adrian barbeau you know a lot of different stuff uh let's see uh lizzie writes john snow you just would uh cc writes yes Corey haim Corey haim i get the two Corys confused the feldman and the haims so a lot of people got them confused back in the day they were in so many movies together uh khaleesi writes i love the wheelchair motorcycle cc writes my favorite two Corey haim feldman's is the lost boys i'm with you i love the lost boys uh, I got to admit, when The Lost Boys came out in 1987, I was, what, 13 at the time? I just, I idolized Kiefer Sutherland's vampire character. I thought he was the coolest thing on earth. I wanted to be him. And I was, I, that movie is what made me a Kiefer Sutherland fan for life. Jason Patrick. Is also in it. The two Corys are in it. That had a big cast. And you want to talk about cult films? You got to put The Lost Boys in the category of cult films. And putting all that aside, it had one of the most kick-ass soundtracks of any movie out there. The soundtrack to The Lost Boys is awesome. I don't know if you guys agree with me or not, but I love the soundtrack to The Lost Boys. Welcome to Obasi, who's joining us from Nigeria. Welcome. Uh, so let's see. Uh, let's see what we can find here. I'm in a mood to just kind of scroll and see what is worthy. After that first article, I'm kind of picking and choosing a little bit more carefully for the rest of the evening okay 10 horror movies you never knew spawned a trilogy okay the stepfather back in 1987 long before he was the cast uh as the mysterious fan favorite john locke in the smash television show lost he was the stepfather Terry O'Quinn made his feature film breakthrough in this psychological thriller where he played Jerry Blake, a man with a penchant for killing his spouses. Okay. Number nine is... Did I miss it? Oh, it's one of these next things. Number nine, The Lost Boys. The Lost Boys. Here it is. There was a trilogy? I guess the title is correct. Ten horror movies you never knew spawned a trilogy. They made a... I vaguely remember a sequel to The Lost Boys. I don't know if that's my mind playing tricks on me, but a trilogy? Demand for nostalgia for the 80s has never been as strong as it is now, with movies and television shows being set in the neon-soaked decade left and right. It's for good reason, though. The decade spawned some of the most iconic movies that we still watch to this day because we just can't get enough. The Lost Boys is one of those movies, but the unlikely trilogy it spawned is a prime example 
of why creating more of a good thing is not always a good idea. Despite numerous failed attempts to make a proper sequel to the movie, even by original director Joel Schumacher, nothing could get off the ground. Then, out of the blue, 20 years later came The Lost Boys, The Tribe, the straight-to-video sequel that was only able to bring back Corey Feldman, that's what I'm remembering as the sequel, from the original cast in a main role. It also demonstrates one of the cheapest casting choices ever by, hi- by hiring Angus Sutherland, the half-brother of Kiefer, to play the lead vampire. The movie was not anywhere near as successful as the original, but it did gross enough through sales to greenlight an even unlikelier third movie. So, yeah, I did hear of that sequel. That's what I was kind of vaguely remembering. But for me, outside of the original Lost Boys, no, I'm sorry, they they just don't count. Absolutely do not count. Uh, CC Weezy, yep, says it was Lost Boys The Tribe. Uh, how'd you guys get into the topic of young guns? The, the Corys weren't in that. That was Emilio Estevez playing Billy the Kid. Uh, Colette writes, the saxophone player in it was great. And I don't know if you know this, Colette, or not, but the saxophone player, yeah, this is a little trivia thing that I know. Why I know it, I have no idea. But the saxophone player in the movie The Lost Boys is the actual saxophone player back in the 80s for Tina Turner. Totally useless fact, but I remember it and I know it. And I don't know if you knew that or not, but that's that's the actual saxophone player for Tina Turner's band back in the 80s. Like I said, it's a useless fact, but for some reason I remembered that. And when you brought up that saxophone player, it just came rushing back to me. All right. So here is some interesting news. They finally let us know who is going to play Mercer on The Walking Dead. The Walking Dead cast a major character for the show's final season. Uh, The Walking Dead confirmed that Blood and Treasure's Michael James Shaw will appear as a new character in the 11th and final season of the AMC series. Shaw will portray Mercer, a popular ex-Marine character from The Walking Dead comics. As reported by Deadline, Few details have been revealed about this show's adaptation of Mercer. However, he's known in the comics as a badass presence with his Mr. T-esque haircut. He's got a mohawk. So, Mercer's character debuted in issue number 177 and is best known for his experience in the Marine Corps, which led him to become the leader of the Commonwealth Army. In the comics, he also becomes romantically involved with Juanita Sanchez, 
a.k.a. Princess, played by Paola Lazaro, who was introduced in Season 10, Episode 14 of the show, when she encountered Stephanie, Eugene, Ezekiel, and Yumiko. Differences on the show, Stephanie was not with them yet. Home Sweet Home, the first episode of The Walking Dead Extended Season 10, premiered on February 28th. And uh, today, uh, for those of you guys that have AMC+, Plus, uh, the second episode of The Walking Dead is available. And CC Weezy sent me a message earlier today. Uh, no, no spoilers, but she said, wow, in regards to this next uh, episode that we're getting. So I'm going to watch it either tomorrow or Saturday. But according to Cece, this next episode of The Walking Dead is pretty badass. It's pretty badass. I'm going to hold you to it, Cece. So let's see. Rotten Outlook. Five more rotten horror movies that terrify. In July and October of last year, I highlighted five rotten contemporary horror movies I genuinely enjoyed. Rotten, of course, is a misnomer. Uh, aggregate, aggregate review site Rotten Tomatoes might consider them flops, and some of them have scored almost comically low, but in my mind, they are diamonds in the rough, gems glistening with promise and possibility, even if not fully realized. 2020 was an exceptionally difficult year for all. Indie juggernauts triumphed, but by and large, there were no new theatrical horror releases in the latter half of the year. As of right now, 2021 doesn't look that different. While there have been limited engagements for titles like Mike Nelson's Engaging Wrong Turn remake, uh, yeah, that's the new wrong turn. Not that great. Anyway, it's still not safe or profitable en- enough for uh, to the to return to the theaters. As such, I've been revisiting some old favorites and thus present to you another five ostensibly rotten horror movies that are actually good. Number one on his list is The Glass House. 2001. It has an overall Rotten Tomato score of 21. And that is pretty pitiful low. Number two is Gone from 2012 with a score of 12. 12%. Number three on the list is Untraceable. 2008. 16%. Let's see. What else do we have? The Hitcher, 2007. Now, The Hitcher is uh, a remake from uh, an 80s movie that was amazing. And apparently when they redid it back in 2007, didn't do quite well, wasn't received well by the audience, nor critics alike. It only scored a 19% on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. Number five, The Empty Man from last year with a score of 42%. Now, this uh, synopsis is a series of mysterious disappearances 
in a small Midwestern town may be linked to a supernatural entity. The Empty Man is very, very difficult to describe, a fact evident in the perfunctory marketing material released just a week before the movie's theatrical debut. Contractual obligations mandated a theatrical release, though you'd be forgiven for not knowing that. Yes, in October of 2020, the empty man was playing to empty auditoriums across the country. Okay, the empty man scored a paltry 3.9 million at the box office and more discouraging a D-plus cinema score. Certainly not the most reliable metric, but a valuable one nonetheless engaging audience sentiments. The lukewarm, almost indignant reaction is likely on account of The Empty Man really being three movies in one, a move that resultantly allows it to reach its highest highs and sink to its lowest lows. After a Protrace nearly half-hour introduction, a short film in its own right, The Empty Man shifts focus to James Badge Dale's former detective James LaSombra. Yes, that's really his name in one of The Empty Man's less subtle moves, and his pursuit of missing teen Amanda Quayle. Doesn't sound that interesting. But, out of every movie on this list, 42% ain't bad when you compare that to 12, 14, and 16%. Uh, Lisa writes, the original was so kick-ass. I assume you're talking about The Hitcher uh, with Thomas C. Howell. Uh, what, was the, what was the actor's Oh, God. It's right there in the tip of my tongue. Uh, who played the uh, the antagonist. The Hitcher was a great movie. I mean, there's there's no two ways about it. Uh, if any of you guys ever had an idea of picking up a hitchhiker, yeah, yeah, watch The Hitcher, and uh, yeah, you will never do that ever again if you've ever done so in the past. Rutger Hauer, that's him. Rutger Hauer is the uh, madman that played The Hitcher in the original movie, and the dude was a madman. Crazy uh his he was not just a homicidal maniac you didn't just get in his car and he killed you and left you out in the middle of the desert his mission is to make your life a living hell and that's what he does to thomas c howell and the reason why he picks thomas c howell is because when they first meet uh, Howell's character actually succeeded in getting him out of the car uh, with Howell's life still intact. So he thought he was in the clear. He just kicked out a psychopath who was getting ready to kill him. And he's all happy and loving it. And he's thought he's never going to see him ever again. And man, he is absolutely wrong. And that's where the movie takes off, and you see just how twisted Rutger Hauer's character really is in the original Hitcher. Anyway, Lizzie writes, The Nun Fright, The Life Out of Me. Which one? 
Lisa writes it was a cat and mouse game. It was a cat and mouse game. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to completely spoil the movie, but what Howell does at the end, uh, that took courage. And uh, it did just ended up just being just the two of them in a showdown. So I've been saying this over and over again on how Wilmington, North Carolina is becoming a big filming hotspot. Yep, little old Wilmington, North Carolina. A lot of movies have, have been shot there, the, ho- the new Halloween movies. Uh, and it's really Blumhouse. Jason Blum and his company are the ones that brought a lot of filming into that little town. And, if, and I've driven through Wilmington, North Carolina. It really is a small, small town. Uh, so they're doing a casting call for Little Leaguers. So if you live near uh, Wilmington, North Carolina, and you have kids who are Little Leaguers, there is a casting call going on. So in Wilmington, North Carolina, a horror movie filming is seeking local Little League teams as extras. Static is being produced by Blumhouse, the same production company behind Get Out, The Purge, Paranormal Activity, and Halloween. No word on what the plot of Static is about, but casting directors are looking for Little League teams with players ages between 11 to 13 to participate in a scene. Filming is set to take place on March 20th. I'm curious which horror movie it is. I know they filmed... uh, I think they filmed... I know they filmed Halloween 2. Not Halloween 2. Halloween Kills uh, in Wilmington. I'm not 100% sure, but I think they might have done Halloween 2018 and Halloween Ends in Wilmington as well. Anyway, lots of movies have are being shot in Wilmington, North Carolina. Uh, it's no longer just Los Angeles and New York where movies are being shot. And we talked about this the other day with our guest, Sean Roberts. It all comes down to money. These little towns are giving these filming studios big financial incentives to come to their town to shoot movies. And it's working. It is absolutely working. Rodrigo is with us on Instagram, giving us a thumbs up. Christopher is also with us on Instagram. Christopher says, I think he, he's directing this towards me. He says, I'm bald. Damn, Christopher. Are you shitting me? I'm bald. That's a newsflash right there. But thanks for the info, though, Christopher. Seven came. I'm still watching The Walking Dead. Okay. We don't know in what context you're watching it. Are you re-watching it? Are you watching it for the first time? Are you watching the new episodes that are coming out right now? So, we could go a lot of different ways there, buddy. Uh, Keko is with us from Buenos Aires. Welcome. Millie Atovar is laughing on Instagram. 
Britannia is also with us. I just feel like just scrolling the chats tonight. <laughs> I'm a little silly. I, I apologize. I'm a little off today. So uh, what are we talking about today? Today we're talking about insane asylums. Okay. Uh, what can be creepier? I mean, you got to admit, it's a great hook. Uh, how many of we all watched a horror movie that is based in a horror, in a, an insane asylum? Hell, American Horror Story did a whole season titled Asylum. And wouldn't you know it, it was the best season of American Horror Story. Anyway, bottom line, a ton of movies, TV shows, even these real uh, television shows of ghost hunters. Asylums are like the biggest hotspot for paranormal activity. That's why there's so many movies made in asylums, TV shows, and even these real-life ghost hunting shows. Uh, you see so many of these people going to abandoned asylums uh, across the country and across the world. So instead of finding uh, a video about horror movies that we've seen, uh, based in, you know, insane asylums. I, f I wanted to show a video of some real-life asylums. Uh, and they, I found a video that shows, like, the top 10, I don't know, it's the scariest, most haunted asylums. These are not, I mean, yeah, I bet you a lot of these, a lot of movies were based off of them. Which movie for which asylum, that's where the lines get a little blurry. Doesn't really matter anyways. But let's just check this out together and see what the top 10 scariest insane asylums are. I'm assuming they've all been abandoned and they're no longer in operation. But let's go and check this out. This better be good. Lizzie writes the Hello, haunting Hello, and welcome House. back to we're another so Daily Top 10's Top 10 video. Today, we're going to be looking at the Top 10 Horrifying Mental Asylums. There's a reason that the Insane Asylum has become a cliché in horror films. A lot of horrifying things have happened at them over the years. We've rounded up a list of 10 of the worst. Number 10, Overbrook Insane Asylum. This New Jersey asylum was shut down in the mid-1970s, but not before traumatizing and torturing many of its patients. Overbrook had way too many patients for its skeleton staff to look after, those of them that were interested in looking after And that's a story you hear medics. over and over again. During the early 20th century, conditions were so awful that a number of patients froze to death in their beds. Others Damn. went AWOL and were never seen again. Damn. Number 9. Willowbrook State School If you've ever seen the American Horror Story Asylum television series, you may recognize some of the traits of Willowbrook. Right, this Staten go. Island lockup served as inspiration for the show's second season. Right, Willowbrook is today that. renowned for its confronting zoo-like conditions. Patients were often found covered in their own refuse, 
Many were sexually assaulted by staff members. Willowbrook is rumored to even have been the one-time home of serial killer Cropsey, the infamous child killer. A Peabody award-winning investigation revealed a lot of the more appalling details, but you'll be shocked to hear that this place is open to this day, though its conditions have vastly improved. Sure, Number sure. 8. Polvelia Island Asylum Stories from this asylum in Venice, Italy are shrouded in a mess of fact and fiction. One thing is certain, it got off to a bad start. It was a strange person indeed who came up with the idea of building a mental institution on an island most famous for being a quarantine station for people dying of the Black Plague. The patients that later made up the asylum's population reported seeing the ghosts of those plague victims, but their cries were ignored by hospital staff. One of the asylum's doctors, meanwhile, got into the habit of performing crude lobotomies with the aid of drills, hammers, and chisels. The rumor goes that this doctor was himself driven mad, claiming that he too could see the ghosts of plague carriers. He threw himself off the top of the hospital's bell tower, falling to his death below. Number 7. Athens Lunatic Asylum No, not Athens, Greece. Athens, Ohio, and this place had a real issue with women who dared to exhibit any kind of sexual desire. The doctors at Athens Lunatic Asylum diagnosed such women with hysteria and said they were sick thanks to what they called menstrual derangements. In order to... Alright, that's because women are not allowed to have any sexual desires. If they do... There is something seriously fucked up with them, you know, and straight to the asylum they go. So, it makes perfect sense to me. Treat this quote-unquote sickness. They froze, shock, kicked, and occasionally lobotomized their patients. They're going to drive that sex right out of her. And closing its doors in 1993. Number 6. Metropolitan State Hospital Sedated children, poisoned pensioners, there are plenty of horrifying tales attributed to this hospital, but the most famous one demonstrates that there was an utter disregard for patient security and well-being. When a patient went for a walk around the hospital's prison-like grounds in 1978, she never returned Lizzie, and she couldn't much, be found. Man. It wasn't until two years later that another patient, soon to be revealed as her killer, brought the police to the three graves that he had buried parts of her body across. He kept a hold of seven of her teeth, giving this horrific asylum the nickname, The Hospital of Seven Teeth. Now why seven? What, I, I think a human being has what, 32, 34 teeth? The seven tooth killer? The fairy tooth, I mean, what the, that's a hell of a trophy, you know, take maybe one, two teeth, but seven, it has to be seven, good old lucky number seven. Number five, Trenton State Hospital. Another this one asylum in Jersey. has become synonymous over the years with the infamous Kirkbride plan, a mental hospital design scheme laid out in the 19th century by Philadelphian psychiatrist Thomas Kirkbride. 
The Kirkbride Plan advocates for big, spacious, light-filled halls, which are supposed to offer patients more privacy and comfort. Unfortunately, many of the hospitals that took up this approach went on to become famed for their poor conditions. In fact, Trenton State Hospital, then known as the New Jersey State Lunatic Asylum, was the very first place founded on this plan. The medical abuses that took place there are many. At various points, patients' teeth, gallbladders, stomach, testicles, uteruses, and ovaries were removed by one Dr. Henry Cotton. The doctor believed that mental disorder was linked to bodily infections. Often, he didn't get the patient's consent. Often, the result of his experiments was death. Number four, Danvers State Hospital. Another hospital built on Kirkbride's theories. Danvers State Hospital is said to be the inspiration for H.P. Lovecraft's Arkham Sanatorium, one of horror fiction's more famous locations. Unfortunately, there was nothing fictitious about the terrible events that happened in Danvers. Originally supposed to house 600 patients, by 1939 there were nearly 2,500, with no increase in staff. This meant that many patients died days before their bodies were discovered. Danvers also became the backdrop to the world's first transorbital lobotomy, in which an ice pick is inserted through the eye socket and into the brain. And you know, going back to this lobotomy thing, okay, you know, not a lot was known about mental illness. Even to today, they're still learning every day. But who came up with the idea of, you know, for those of you that don't know what a lobotomy is, is basically they they stick usually a pick right up your eye socket and they give it one good tap with the hammer to, the way I understand it, it separates the frontal lobe of your brain uh, it, it sort of splits it. And yeah, basically that frontal lobe of your brain is what controls executive function. So of course you're going to be a lot more calmer. They're taking away your intelligence. They're taking away your ability to make decisions, your free will. Uh, that just doesn't make any damn sense. Number three, Penhurst Insane Asylum. Penhurst was a place where when a child bit another child, he got a warning. When he did it again, he got his teeth removed. This asylum's reputation for child cruelty was built on the findings of investigative reporter Bill Baldini, who shone a light on the facility's widespread physical, mental, and sexual abuses. Number two, Topeka State Hospital. By the 1960s, Topeka State Hospital had a reputation as a leading psychiatric facility, but that was not always the case. Accounts of the terrors experienced there are many, ranging from people being chained up naked for months on end, to tales of the excruciating, mind-numbing boredom patients underwent. There was no effort at the hospital to stimulate patients' bodies or minds. Worst of all was the story recounted by a journalist 
that visited the hospital in the early 20th century. He encountered a patient who had been strapped down so long that his skin had started to grow over his restraints. Damn. Uh, Lizzie is asking why would they do that in regards to lobotomy? Because they thought it would cure mental illness. But what it does is, okay, let's say somebody is in a state of psychosis or whatever the mental illness is. Yeah, if you screw with the frontal lobe of the brain and they said, oh, wow, it actually works. Yeah, you're taking away a person's ability to think, make decisions. If they're in an agitated state of uh, mind all the time, yeah, it's going to calm them down. And that's why... They're like, wow, this is, this is it. This is the cure. Number one, Bedlam. Its name may be the Bethlehem Royal Hospital, but it became more famous for its nickname, Bedlam. Originally owned by monks and opened in 1247, Bedlam eventually started taking in homeless unfortunates with psychiatric issues. No one knew much about treating mental problems back then, the dark ages, so though. daily punishments, scripture lessons, and chaining people to walls seemed the way to go. By the time the British government took over in the mid-19th century, there were people who had been locked up for 20 years or more. But things didn't improve. The staff weren't trained, conditions were filthy, patients without money were starved, and an inspection in 1598 said that Bedlam was not fit for any man to dwell in. Thirty-odd years later, the whole place was closed, a new hospital was opened, and things began to get really bad. Patients were treated like prisoners in a zoo. Bedlam was open to the public, and rich people gave patients pennies so they might perform songs and dances. Future managers encouraged beatings, cold baths, and torture prompting a 19th century parliament inquiry and two more changes of location. 750 years on from opening its doors, Bedlam is still going, improved but with a controversial history that won't and shouldn't disappear. All right, that has to be then the oldest operating insane asylum in the, in the world since the 1200s. It's in the UK. Ah, you know, we've come a long way. We still have a long way to go. But sanitariums, uh, insane asylums, mental institutions, whatever you want to call them. Back in the day, it's where people would dump off uh, family members who were not deemed fit for society or were an embarrassment for their family. It's sad. And the reason why abuse ran rampant, not in just one of these places, but pretty much everyone you hear about, is because there was no money poured into it. They just had minimal staff dealing with hundreds, sometimes thousands of mentally ill patients. And uh, yeah, the people that worked there, they... But naturally, they just became calloused and cold-hearted to the people that were actually there. It's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. And it's no no secret at all 
why, especially if you believe in the paranormal, why a lot of these places are haunted as shit today. Uh, just think of all the negativity that is stored within those walls of any of these asylums. And why horror movies, it's such a hot spot to put an insane asylum as part of the plot in any kind of horror movie or TV show, like American Horror Story Asylum. So there you guys have it. Uh, Khaleesi writes, yep, yeah, once they once the family dumped them there, they wouldn't they wouldn't go back and visit. They're just getting rid of a problem, dumping it off to I don't know, whatever the hell you want to call it, dumping it off, uh, putting it in somebody else's uh, hands. And that place in the UK, Bedlam, the way they talked about how people would pay pennies to have the patients sing and dance for them. I'm like, what is it, a freaking zoo? A petting zoo? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Oh, God. Oh, yeah, don't even get started, Colette, on the sexual orientation. Yeah, they, they would definitely lock you up, anybody up for that. Anyway, guys, we are out of time. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, I apologize for starting late tonight. This hour flew by as always. I uh, hope you guys enjoy your rest of the, your Thursday or your Friday. I will be back on the air again tomorrow night uh, for our last show of the week. And then we'll be back again on Monday. Don't forget, we have Dave Davis with us on Monday. And we have Marnie Carpenter from Clarice, which I will be watching tonight. Marnie's going to be joining us on Tuesday. Both interviews are going to start at our normal time of 9.30 p.m. Everybody stay safe. And until tomorrow night, guys, always stay walking. Good night.